0: Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. Why Ground Control Parenting? Because we're not trying to be helicopter parents, but we do need to be on the tarmac, that ground control crew, making sure our kids have what they need for a successful takeoff. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. My daughter and two sons are in their 20s, and I've been writing about parenting and education issues for more than a decade. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. I'm so excited that our guest today is my dear friend, Deborah Roberts. Deborah is an award-winning correspondent with ABC News. She regularly reports on 2020, Good Morning America, World News Tonight with David Muir. And she's also served as an anchor and co-host on Good Morning America, World News Tonight, and The View. And as most everyone knows, she's married to Al Roker, the beloved weatherman, TV journalist, and Today Show co-host. They are the parents of Lila, 21, and Nikki, 17, and Deborah has a stepdaughter, Courtney, who's 32. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Deborah. Happy so, to be here. So excited to have you here. I feel as if this is the continuation of a conversation we've been having for years, <laughs> and I'm glad that our <laughs> listeners get to be a part of it. So, we've been talking about our children, especially our daughters, for a long time, and just a little bit of backstory. When Tyler, my daughter Tyler, was in high school, she got to know your daughter Lila in middle school. And the lovely thing, and Tyler's now been out of college for five years, and the lovely thing is that they've kept up that friendship. Mm. We have pictures of them together in Paris, Lila's in Paris. They bonded over French. Yes, they bonded (laughs) over French. And uh, you have always been so focused and thoughtful about parenting. In fact, you and Al wrote a book about parenting together a few years ago called Been There, Done That, Family Wisdom for Modern Times, in which you talked a lot about parenting issues. So you've got a lot of great perspectives, stories, and wisdom to share. So
1: welcome. welcome. Thank you. Not (laughs) sure I have all the answers, but I'm trying every day. Yes, you are. And that's
0: all (laughs) all that's important. That's what we need to do. So I want to start by talking about a piece of advice that I generally give to parents, and that is that you raise the child that you have, versus the one you were or the one that you wanted. So I want to just start with a little bit of background on the child you were, little Deborah Roberts, growing up in Perry, Georgia, with her eight siblings. You talk in your book about um, what that was like. And it's amazing. By the way, if you haven't read the book, you need to read the book. It's really amazing, um, really well done, and really interesting. And your voice really comes through so well. Thank you. Um, You talk about your mom raising all nine of you, and while she was – loving and caring and and very powerful in your family, you wished that she was a little bit more affectionate, a little bit more demonstrative. And I'm curious about how that's impacted how you raise your children.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because you don't think about those things when you're in the moment as a child, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that my mom sometimes when we would like hug her a long time or I would lean on her for a long time, she was like, okay, enough, enough already. <laughs> she was very loving, mm-hmm. but just not really huggy, huggy, huggy as much as I wanted her to be. Mm-hmm. I'd never thought about that that much as a child, but mm-hmm. later on in life, of course, I began to think about how I was parented and that my mom was a little more stoic. And I was always very demonstrative and always very lovey, lovey, and I love you, and mm-hmm. you know, to my sisters and brothers. And they always thought I was very Pollyanna like because <laughs> I was always like goody, goody, two shoes and looking for the bright side of everything. That's just my personality. So, um, I. Once I became a parent, um, you, you know, you do start thinking a lot more about how were you parented. And I know that that's something that's important to me, just showing your affection, showing your love, talking about it, maybe talking about it a little too much, maybe. (laughs) Um, but. Yeah, I think that more than anything else, I don't know that I was trying to be the opposite of what my mother was because I didn't see it as a real deficiency, Mm -hmm. but I did see it as something that I kind of longed for. But I began to examine my mother's life too. And I think that as a parent, you begin to look at your parents as adults now mm-hmm, as people mm-hmm. fully formed people, and I began to think about how uh, her life was. Her mother died when she was a baby mm-hmm. uh, just out uh, after childbirth. Her family you know really had a rough life they were poor um, farmers, she lost a brother to a farming accident, uh, she was raised by a very stern and very cold grandmother. And I began to think that maybe my mother just didn't have that Mm -hmm. warmth shown to her. Mm -hmm. So rather than really dwell on that, it was never anything I thought that much about, but I just know that that's the kind of person I am. And so I definitely sort of showered my kids with affection and attention. And also my husband is like that too. He was Mm -hmm. raised by parents who were very affectionate. So I I wouldn't see it as like breaking any kind of a cycle, but it Mm -hmm. was just, i that's who I am. And I really wanted to make sure that my kids could see that.
0: That's great. You know, a a guest, Tanya Lewis, talked about parenting on a continuum. You sort of see where your parents were and you see where you want to go from there. Mm -hmm. And then you hope for your children when you make all the mistakes that we all make that they will continue. (laughs) They will continue on that continuum and be better parents even still. So do you think, uh, as between Leela and Nikki, are they both affectionate or does. (laughs)
1: You know, it's very interesting because I do believe that we're sort of born with a lot of these mm-hmm. personality traits. And uh, Nick is the classic boy. He is affectionate, but he's not going to be the first one to reach out and say, hello, mom, mm-hmm. I love you. <laughs> Although he does do that a lot more. Mm-hmm. He holds back a little bit more in that classic cool boy style because mm-hmm. he's 17. Mm-hmm. Um, Leela is affectionate, but she can also have a little bit of a veneer there where she doesn't really want to show it. But some of it is age. She's mm-hmm. coming out of her teens. She's in her early 20s. Uh, but she's a very, very thoughtful, affectionate, caring kid. She does remind me a lot of myself because I worried about my mom a lot. I was the seventh child, and by the time I came along, and my two younger sisters were in the mix, and I could see my mom was just tired. She's just running out of steam. <laughs> and my father was not uh, um, demonstrative to her, or maybe I mean, the truth be told, I think they had a very rough relationship, a tough relationship, and probably had gone through some periods where maybe they might have just gone separate ways. But because of this big family, Mm -hmm. nine children, Mm -hmm. they didn't. Because as I look back on it, you know as an adult i could see that they kind of weren't suited for each other that much so there probably were things in the relationship that i wasn't aware of mm-hmm. that they just didn't really get along that mm-hmm. well um so i didn't see a lot of that but I, I so because of that i think i worried about my mom a lot i worried like is she getting enough affection is she being treated well if i if it, it was a friday night and we were all going off to the basketball games and i was a cheerleader and we are all going out of the house and she's home you know just sort of doing chores and alone i would always feel right. bad like mom Mom, do you want me to stay home? I can skip the game. Do you want? No, 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 no. Go ahead. Well, I find Leela doing the same thing with me. Oh, mom, are you okay? Uh, if she knows great. that I'm sick, I mean, mm-hmm. and she's in Paris right now, mm-hmm. but if she knows something's going on, and because of social media, she mm-hmm. might see me post something. It's the anniversary of my mother's death. I lost my mom a few years ago. She will call. Mom, are you okay? I know it's a tough day for you. Oh. I'm just sort of thinking about you. So she's showing a lot of those same traits. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in a very, very open way every day, but she definitely is a really caring kid.
0: Being able to have a child that has compassion and mm. empathy, I mean, that is really, really important. And just, I have to quick... Say a quick side note. Why am I not surprised that you were a cheerleader?
1: <laughs> why, I know. Why exactly. would anyone knowing you not be surprised? Uh, you Perry were High Panthers. <laughs> I was a cheerleading <laughs> co captain as well. Of course you were. <laughs>
0: we love that. You're still a cheerleader. I love of course, that. Of course. So, sort of, segueing to you, talked about the ex- expectations your parents had of you, and I want to sort of move into the children that you have that you're raising. How did they convey their expectations? I mean, you certainly achieved greatly. I mean, and did that come from your – in part were your parents – certainly they were supporting you. But did you get a sense that this was what you were supposed to be doing
1: or – No, not at all. I think my parents were supportive. They wanted us all to be decent, good, respectful um, people who uh, did – you know, well with their lives and supported themselves. Mm-hmm. But my parents didn't have this, you know, luxury of thinking about careers. I mean, that just didn't happen in their small world. Jim Crow South, I grew up in segregated um, schools up mm-hmm. until fourth grade. So they and they didn't have uh, professionalism in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew teachers, black teachers and and, and people who worked at like factories and things like that, but so they didn't really necessarily expect their kids to be, you know, a lawyer or a doctor. They just wanted you to be good, strong, solid citizens, people, good people who sort of, you know, went to church and, and took care of yourselves. Um, but, they wanted more for us than they had mm-hmm. you, I knew that much, mm-hmm. and I knew that they wanted us to you know uh, you know even in high school you know to have jobs and to go out and do things and to you know you know even when we were younger you know the library club you know in the summer months mm-hmm. they just wanted us to achieve in some way um, but I don't think anybody necessarily pushed us to mm-hmm. to do more. I think most of the expectations around it, my community were you know if you worked at you know the bank or Or if you you know worked at the Air Force Base which a lot of civilians worked at the Air Force Base that was nearby or you became a teacher that was kind of success Mm -hmm. and for those who went beyond that and might have gone on and gotten their masters and and done a little bit more in school Mm -hmm. that was really icing on the cake so I think they didn't know what to make of me I was kind of the (laughs) unicorn in the family like this girl just has these high hopes and high expectations and yes I was a cheerleader and yes I was in all the clubs at school and the homecoming court and all of this and so I just had like bright, big expectations for myself. Mm-hmm. And I think my mom was really just touched and in awe of that. Mm-hmm. I watched her watch me kind right. of in amazement. Right? Like, right. where did you get this sparkle <laughs> and energy? But she was excited by it.
0: <laughs> That's great. So let's fast forward and let's talk about your expectations with your kids. And again, you were so helpful in having written this book because I could just pull from it. <laughs> with you my know questions. exactly what my life is about. <laughs> well, I, I think a lot in parenting about the expectations of what what you think your children are going to be like versus the reality of what they really are, and um, there's a great example in your book about um, the struggle between or the frustration of um, having expectations for your children. You kind of and and you coming from Georgia, New York, and the world is your oyster, and you think of the grand things your children can do, and the moment when you realize that. Your child doesn't want to do what <laughs> you want them to do. Can you talk a little bit about Leila's school, I think high school in particular, her, her decision to go a little bit in a different direction than
1: you had anticipated? Yeah, completely different direction. And I got her permission to talk about this, by the way. Great. So I'm, I'm Thank okay. You, we can just open up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, having grown up in a very humble setting in the South and not having access to, say, or, or, or um, exposure to mm-hmm. Ivy League education. I didn't have anybody who even nudged me in that direction. I didn't have high school counselors who would nudge us in a direction of doing anything outside of the norm, which Mm -hmm. I went to the University of Georgia, and that was kind of in my sphere kind of the Harvard of the South. So I um, wouldn't have thought about going to Brown or going to Princeton or Harvard or Yale or anything like that. So I think that once I came to New York and, of course, was surrounded by so much of this. I mean so many of my colleagues were Ivy – League educated um, kids. Um, Of course, you know, living in New York and on the Upper East Side and being surrounded by parents and people that I met like you who actually had those, um, had that kind of background and also had kids who were going to private schools like my kid. I thought, well, of course, this is what she should do, and this would be great, and I never had this opportunity, so I'm so excited that you will have this opportunity. So to me, it was just sort of like a given. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to a private school, one of the, you know, elite private schools on the Upper East Side, you're doing well, you got a great personality, you have a great, you know, she's sharp, she's got brains, and just a, a sharp kid. I just thought this was a given. Okay, great, it's just a matter of which one of these schools she wants to go to. And also, too, there's something in the water, you know that, Absolutely. with these parents. Yes. And that's the thing I had had to get past. You're surrounded by all these parents. I mean, when she was in um, um, uh, not just kindergarten, but certainly like the early part of school— a lot of these parents were already talking about their kids learning Mandarin so that they could excel going here and this child it was very clear there was a strategy going on with a lot of these parents and I was so naive about it thinking oh so so great your kid loves lacrosse oh how great oh your your child is running and doing the violin and also doing soccer and doing this oh wow your kid is really driven that is so great wow
0: little did you know little did I
1: know (laughs) and eventually it became apparent that these were parents who were grooming their children for a certain and mm-hmm you know place in society. And so once I sort of recognized that, you know, I mean I continued I think to nudge Leela in that direction, but I could see that she was resistant. She wasn't particularly athletic and she didn't really like athleticism. I mean she would try to do certain things that we wanted her to, but that wasn't her thing. She liked creative pursuits, you know, she liked theater and music and things like that and that was great. We had her doing the violin. She liked the violin, okay, but not that much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I kept pushing. I kept mm-hmm. pushing and she was like I don't really want to do this. And we We kind of had this push-pull, the two Mm -hmm, of us, mm -hmm. because I was sort of subconsciously or maybe consciously nudging her in the direction that I saw other parents nudging their kids. And Leela was pushing back, and Mm -hmm. she was like, I don't really want to do this, and I don't want to do that. And then she had asthma, and and, and, uh, she was in Taekwondo, and she almost collapsed one day, and she (laughs) didn't really (laughs) want – yeah. And so she clearly just was not a kid who was built for certain things, but I couldn't understand why. She wouldn't give it more effort and why won't you try more? Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point – Point, there was a crisis, and it's about the same time a lot of kids are having crises anyway in adolescence where you know they're peeling off from their friendships and doing all kinds of other things, the, the little core group they used to be with, they peeled off from. And she was starting to sort of doubt her smarts. Ah. She sort of thought that everybody was smarter than she was. Mm-hmm. And say she struggled in math a little bit, but did really well in other classes. But somehow she just seemed to have this insecurity that everybody else is doing really well and she's not. And that became a real crisis for us because I knew that she was a bright girl, but I knew she was also feeling some deep insecurities. And I kept pushing her harder and she was sort of pushing back and I could see that we were having a real problem.
0: There is nothing like being a child in a world where you've got the parents pushing the kids, you've got the kids with their entitlement to being... The best of the best and mm. and going along with it, and then feeling like you don't belong so right clearly, I mean, and, and and as a parent, there's nothing worse than watching your child's confidence mm. get chipped away mm. at. so so, but Leela. Superwoman that she is, <laughs> took her matters into her own hands. Yes, and, and decided that she would go to my alma mater.
1: Mm. <laughs> oh, music I always and forget art. that. Right. That's, right,
0: that's right, that's right. So she applied and got into Laguardia. Now it's Laguardia School of, of the Performing Arts, arts yeah. or
1: something like that. <laughs> it Used yes. to be Music
0: and Art. We merged yeah. with Performing Arts. As one who grew up in the public school system here, but was introduced to this world of intense manic parenting to get to the mecca of wherever. As an adult with a child, I, I knew, um, that people struggle, particularly people that didn't grow up here, mm. struggled with this sense of, this is the path that mm. I must put my child on. Mm-hmm. And, and if we can be honest, now that it's all said and done, and I speak for myself, certainly, there is this sense of, um, it, it's hard not to think of it as your journey. I mean, it's mm. your child's journey, but it's, you, you live a little bit vicariously because, it's funny, our, our oldest is, is very good academically she always got great grades and Bill and I are like oh yes no she gets it from the both of us she, truth <laughs> is she has better grades than either one of us did <laughs> ever. so that's her right so that's, that's her it's definitely her but we we all feel like we're we're part <laughs> of this process but um, so but the the happy ending to the story is that she found where she needed to be she thrived in high school and right. now she's this fabulous young woman living in Paris right. going to school and creating this world
1: that now we want to be, that we, I want to we, be a we part, to be a part <laughs> of. Yes, I want to, I want that life. But it wasn't easy, I have to tell you, because I, again, I succumbed to all of these expectations of the parents who I sort of hung out with. And Leela wanted to do something else. And I can't tell you how many parents, moms in particular, when I said, Oh, she wants to transfer to the of Performing Arts. Oh, um. oh, how do you feel about that? Oh, well, how interesting is that? <laughs> and then one mom actually said to me, how brave of you! I wish I could do that. My son really doesn't want to be where we are, but how brave of you! And suddenly, you know, you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, is it <laughs> that bizarre that we're stepping off the, you know, the 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 track that 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 much?" But um, but um, ultimately, it took a long time in coming. Ultimately, I accepted her goal, and she went off and she did it. And I think she would even look back and say. You know, I thought I wanted to be an actress. That wasn't ultimately what happened for me. I learned, uh, you know, a lot of things at this school. But I think she would look back on it and say, wow, that was something I needed. I Mm -hmm. needed to fly. And she now will say to me, thank you for letting me, you know, sort of direct myself. Because you had the direction going. And she said, Mom, this isn't about you. Yeah. This is about me. Yeah. I mean, the ability for her to be
0: able to say that means that you – enabled her to grow up in a, in a household where she felt, and as a person, where she felt she had the smarts to do it and she had the confidence that she wasn't going to damage your relationship by saying that. And your ability to make the switch mm. is really, really important because I can't say this enough. Parents, don't it's really important for us to step back and actually see what's going on when we're at loggerheads mm-hmm. and just make sure that we aren't Putting so much of ourselves into it that we're actually robbing our children of the opportunity to be themselves. So I'm realizing as you're talking, there are like 12 yeah. other podcasts we can do
1: because because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a thinking into about itself. yes yeah.
0: about and be let you know there's this mantra about letting kids fail. Mm. I have this theory about black kids. I'm not as sure that mm. we have the license to let our kids fail mm. as much as we're being encouraged to. But that's a whole other that's podcast. Another yeah. that's another subject. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but so. So it was hard, but you you were able to do it. Now, one of the ways that I sense that you were able to do it, and you talk about this a little in your book, is the group of friends, of female friends, that you could talk with this about. Certainly, I was one. We would talk mm-hmm. about Lila and music and art, and I would assure you, it's it's, it's really going to be, okay. be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you talk in your book about your girlfriend group, your book club group, and and your girl lunch group, and I want to just talk about for a minute because I'm a big proponent of parent groups, however you find them. I mean. Back to the parents that are putting their kids in 45 different things and teaching them Mandarin at 2, there's this tendency in New York, and I'm sure everywhere, for parents to really only talk about how well their kids are doing. Right. And there needs to be a space where you can say this is this is this sucks
1: right now. I don't know. This is not going well at all. Or to just cry. Right, exactly. I just feel like I'm blowing this whole thing. Right, exactly. Yeah, you have to be able to do that because I think we all feel it. And I can't tell you how many women, even if they're not close friends, somehow maybe I've had a conversation with, especially in recent years, I think now that I'm much more comfortable in just like expressing that life isn't perfect, who have said to me like, wow, it's so good to hear somebody else actually admit that things aren't actually completely perfect. And that's what I think that's what we need and I think as women um that's the thing that sustains us. I mean mm-hmm. my husband is fantastic and he's you know great and, and very hands on with our family but you know he doesn't want to talk about this stuff that much. No. We'll talk about it a little bit and after a while he's like okay okay are we still talking about right. this? <laughs> and I'm like okay he feels like it's been solved and right. we've come up with something so why are we on it anymore? yeah Check let's move on, move on Let's move on so the girlfriends I think have been just a savior for me over the years. And whether, I mean, I don't have a long running group that I've just been with since high school or college that some people do, but just friends I've even made along the way and still continue to, you know, um, but, but who you feel you can trust. And maybe from time to time, get mm-hmm. together with and have these candid Discussions or just candid, let loose kind of moments. Absolutely, and I think that makes all the difference in the world. And to be able to say that, and to hear somebody like you say, you know what, it's going to be fine. And when you told me that you had gone to Laguardia, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And I look <laughs> at you, and I look at your life, but you are made to feel sometimes in this world, particularly in this sort of you know high charged um, 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 atmosphere that we live in, um, that you've got to have it all together at all oh. times. Yeah, and particularly as a woman of color. We know we don't have it all together at all times, but we know that we also have to appear that we do. Right, And to be able to have an outlet to just sort of let go and let loose and just maybe even if you're in your honest moments, share um, those either failures or weaknesses or insecurities that you might have on the job or in your family or, you know, uh, you mentioned uh, Tanya Lewis-Lee and I are really good friends because we live near each other. And for us to sometimes just get together, we feel like our husbands are kind of similar guys Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and just to sort of make jokes and, and, and just sort of let it go. It oh. is so important and I think so nurturing and, and just a lifeline. It,
0: it absolutely is a lifeline, just knowing somebody else hears you mm-hmm. and can say to you, you're going to get past this or you think that's bad. Let me tell you what this is. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Okay, exactly. <laughs> so I I want to switch subjects um, because, as I get, again, we could talk about so many different things. I want to talk a little bit about Nikki, but in the context of, and, and Leela as well, in the context of race. You know, this mm-hmm. podcast and my blog, it's all about parents of black and brown children. And I'm particularly interested in how you and your husband, both, both well-known public figures, black public figures, um manage raising children in worlds in which you didn't grow up, certainly. I mean, their world is vastly different than mm-hmm. your world or Definitely. Al's world. Certainly my kid's world's different than mine and so you have a lot of things to balance you're 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 well known you're public figures so your children sort of have that as a thing mm. that you know they share mom and dad with a lot of people and that's a whole other issue right yeah. <laughs> they but they're kids of color and you and i both know that as um many Privileges as they have, if they're in the wrong neighborhood or in the wrong place, I mean, they're still black kids, right? And right. And Mm -hmm. and I'm particularly interested with respect to Nikki. I want to know how you've talked to them about race, and particularly with your background. You grew up in segregated South. I mean, when I read that you had been in segregated Mm -hmm. schools 15 years after Brown Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. Board of Education, shocked. Yeah, that massive resistance. Georgia wasn't playing. That's exactly right. Georgia (laughs) held out to the very last. So you. Come to a world from such a different perspective. So, so you have this tall, handsome young man who is out in the world as a young black man. I mean, how do you talk? And and on top of it, he has some special needs. So you exactly. need to be yeah. focused particularly on how he interacts with people. How did how do you guys talk to your kids about race generally
1: and sort of manage all of those competing? You know, that's interests? A, that's a very Current and, and, and ongoing subject for us, mm-hmm. uh, because, yeah, Nick, by the way, he's Nick. He's oh, 17. excuse me. I'm oh, yeah. sorry. He's Nick, Nick now. Nick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I call him Nicky every now and again. No, 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 mom, it's Nick. Nick. Because, you know, he's almost a young man. Absolutely. Um, you know, it is interesting because he is this tall, almost one. Wow. Good looking, mm-hmm. you know, kid. He's athletic, you know, the opposite of Lila. Now, he loves <laughs> to swim. And he, um, you know, he runs with me from time to time in the park and so forth. You know, this very uh, tall, athletic guy. But he also, as you said, he has some special needs. He's got some learning disabilities. And so he can be a little naive sometimes about the world. Mm-hmm. Now, on the one hand, um, he travels the subway all over the city and can find any place and come visit me or go do whatever, like nobody's business. I mean, better than I I can I'm not much of a subway rider but he really is so he is a New York kid in that way mm-hmm. but he's also a young black man mm-hmm. young black boy mm-hmm. and um, we it, I have to tell you I I sort of had the talk with Nick. Mm -hmm. The talk. Mm -hmm. And it broke my heart. And I shared this with some white colleagues at my office and they were absolutely stunned because I think a lot of people feel because we are in this sort of rarefied world Mm -hmm. that that doesn't really, the rules don't apply to us, right? Why would I be worried about my black son out in the world? Well, I do. Right. And, um, I think about it all the time. When Nick goes off every morning to take the subway to school, I ask him to reach out to me every time he gets to school, text me. Now, he thinks it's just mom being kind of a nag, but I just want to make sure you're okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this world of social media as well, uh, we have had to talk to Nick a lot about how he talks to girls, how he contacts girls. And an ongoing situation we're having right now is, again, Nick naively, and like any boy, really, Mm because most boys are kind of naive when it comes to matters of, you know, intimacy and love and getting to know girls and courtship and all of this. And he has reached out to a couple of girls on Instagram from time to time, girls that he vaguely knows, either at church or at school. And, you know, maybe they didn't really want to talk that much or maybe he tried again, um, direct messaging them and tried again. And then it becomes kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. And I've had to explain to him that you're, we're in a different world now. Um, number one, we're in a world of, after me too, and, 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 a great way that women feel that they can actually speak out and speak up in mm-hmm. ways they, they didn't feel they could before. But on the other hand, they also feel empowered too to just call you out if they feel that you do something that is just like vaguely annoying to them. Mm-hmm. So whereas before, boy, and I've, ex- I've explained this to him and many times. Whereas before, when I was growing up, a boy might, you know, annoy you. I remember sitting in school and boys would like pull a girl's bra strap. Like, oh, a guy, uh-huh. the guy sitting right. behind you might snap. The bra strap just kind of being funny and silly. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, whatever. It's boys being ridiculous. Today, a girl might call that assault. Ah, uh, yeah. And I've, I've had to explain that to him. And also, I have had to say to him, and you're a young black man. Mm -hmm. And to some people, you're intimidating, you're tall, you've got a deep voice. And I that just breaks my heart. Because I'm basically saying, pull yourself back a little bit and be careful. I had to say to him once, if you're down in the subway once, and you're, you know, he doesn't generally stop to buy anything. But even if you were buying something, if anybody ever mistook anything, just put your hands up. Mm. I mm-hmm. almost broke into tears just mm-hmm. telling him that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think an incident had just happened where somebody was arrested and some mm-hmm. kid was, you know, pummeled uh, by the cops. Um, that worries me all the time. And so I don't want to make him scared and fearful about it, but I do want to make them aware. And the same with Leela. I mean, I don't even think I have to talk to her as much about it. She's a little more savvy and she's older and mm-hmm. she sort of gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, we we have to have sort of ongoing conversations about the fact that you're moving in the world and you're a brown person and the world isn't always kind to you. And I hate having that conversation because I wanted when I was growing up I was coming out of the segregated south and in the 70s feeling like it's all possible mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know we're not worried so much about that anymore now we're moving into a different world and now I'm telling my kids be careful of the world that you're inhabiting it it is it's heartbreaking it's absolutely
0: necessary and I I think a lot about the Duality of having, wanting to raise confident children mm-hmm. and wanting to raise children, you know, as, as much as the term privilege has been given a bad name because people abuse it, we are children having opportunities mm-hmm. that we didn't have. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is, it can be a blessing, it can be a privilege to have this privilege. Part of your exposure to the world is your ability to take advantage of opportunities, your ability, ability to walk confidently into, confidently into rooms where you might not have Right. Wanted to walk or been right. able to walk before. So while you've got that happening for your kids at the same time. Which we're proud of. Which we're proud of. And and which is the way that we all hope the world would work, at the same time, we have to put that little bug in their ear that mm-hmm. says when someone follows you around the department store, just shrug it off. Do not mm-hmm. think that don't don't let it get to you. Right. Don't get angry if they stop you. Mm-hmm. You know, hands up, Mm -hmm, ID out. mm -hmm. I mean, and that for black parents, and and not just in the privileged world, but just generally speaking, that is one of those psychological chipping away Mm -hmm. um, events that we don't talk about. I mean, we talk about the importance of teaching our children, giving them the talk. They have to have the talk. But just that – dichotomy of the talk
1: versus creating a confident being to go out into the world. It's just tough. It's really tough. I posted a picture of Nick on my Instagram um, not long ago. I think there have been the, when the, the two black men in Starbucks were yes. approached mm-hmm. and asked to leave. Um, that just really crushed me because I just thought, oh my gosh, these were this was an instance where people weren't even doing anything except sitting and deciding not to have coffee while they waited for somebody. So um, in the uh, the uh, ongoing conversation after that, I I posted on my Instagram a picture of Nick, a sweet little picture of him from childhood, and just wrote, every day he leaves the house, I pray that he will be home safely. I just, I don't know, I just felt compelled to talk about that, to put Mm -hmm. it out there. Mm -hmm. And Robin Roberts at ABC said to me, she was stunned. First of all, she uh, she thought it was lovely, but she was stunned that I, I even felt the need to do it. But by her colleagues, too, who were shocked, white colleagues who were shocked that, I would even feel that that's necessary. In other words, they just thought that I'm shielded from that. Right. Like, you really worry about your black son too? And I think it was an awakening for people that all of us, no matter how privileged you are, mm-hmm. we're still in this world that isn't always kind to people of color.
0: Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and imparting
1: that, that to your kids is something that's very, very hard for me as a parent. Yes,
0: no, it is, it is, and it continues to be. But again, the importance of talking about it. I mean, talking about it with your peers, us talking about it, as well as talking to your kids about it. Um, and, and finding, getting advice and thinking about different ways to do it so Mm -hmm. that you're not, um, you're not inadvertently putting fear into your child that's going to impact the way that, I mean, I'm focused on the boys. It happens with the girls as well. Mm -hmm. But we have, I have two sons. They are Mm -hmm. tall. They Mm are, um, uh, they have tempers they're normal people right, and right. and you just live in fear that somebody will misinterpret right and and there's a chance for it to be even more i mean i'm i'm thinking of my children they they're used to walking in the world where their ability to think about things and it, that they're not going to be challenged for something that doesn't that is sort of so left field mm. like they're walking with their white friends mm. i mean they now understand that it can yeah. happen that they'll be stopped um, I remember an incident in high school where one of his friends jumped the term style, a white friend jumped the term style, and I just had this vision. Mm-hmm. So the cops stopped them all. Yeah. So we had to have a long talk about, you know.
1: He might get away with that, but right. you uh, may you be arrested. Right. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on yeah. the one sense, you want, you know, I joke about kids needing some sort of adversity. They need to know the world's not sort of all rainbows. And But it's really important that our kids understand it and, and um, it. it It's heartbreaking, but the fact that – I mean, the fact that it's it's important for our white colleagues to understand that there's no special category of black people. Right,
1: right. (laughs) We may get good seats in restaurants. We may get waved in very quickly. But on the other hand, we can also get into something, you know, And if there's a traffic stop. So it's unfortunate, but it is true. So one quick question before we wrap
0: up. Instagram, you're – social media you you've been i you your your game is strong i've been watching you my daughter rolls her eyes all the time <laughs> but so here's my quick question about the you your kids on Instagram like mm. do as they get older
1: does there come a time i mean do you have to get their permission on what you post about them yes. or ah. yes but um, yeah I mean they, they they are so concerned about I didn't like that picture or they're concerned about how they you know uh. appeared in something or you Leila right now because she feels like a lot of young women they've reinvented themselves over the years mm-hmm. so they look back at their pictures when they were 7 and 8 before their braces <laughs> when they had on that t-shirt with the stain that they wore all the time and you just love it and I post it like oh my baby I'm thinking about her throwback Thursday mom take that down right now I hate that picture so yes I mean mostly I think, um, it's fine, but yeah, they do want approval on some of the things. I think it's very funny because I'm just trying to, like, um, live an authentic life a little bit on Instagram mm-hmm. I mean I show pictures of myself working out sometimes right. no makeup sometimes my hair is all over the place I'm thinking did I really do that and then I look at friends who have these nice filters oh my gosh. and I'm thinking why am I not doing the filters <laughs> how come I'm the only one not doing filters and Lena's like mom please what are you doing what are you doing but on the other hand I can't tell you how many followers I have who say I just love that you're willing to just kind of put yourself out there and live out loud <laughs> and so I mostly maintain it because for work it's good to have a social media media presence, mm-hmm. and they like us to do that. But I kind of also enjoy just kind of putting a little bit of reality out there in life, real reality right. no, in absolutely. Life. So you see it you and know uh, I'm crazy. <laughs>
0: you know, it's great. Just a tip, though, for listeners who are putting their kids all over Instagram, just make sure that you're consulting with them, particularly as they are older, because that stuff lives forever. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I worry a little bit, and this is another topic for conversation of another podcast, that we are inadvertently creating a Instagram presence for our children. You're not doing this because you're just doing it from time to time, but people that post about the kids all All the time. time, Yeah, there's this, at some point, the child's gonna rest away that, that identity, and it's already out there.
1: I agree with you. So. I agree with you. I worry about that too, and I'm 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 cognizant of that. Again, my kids are older, yours are older, but I am cognizant of that. And sometimes I'm making pancakes, and I put Nick in it in the morning, and you know, mm-hmm. and there are mornings where he'll say, No, no, nope, don't do that, and yeah. then there are mornings he'll say, Yeah, yeah, okay. So I, to the extent that it's about family life and family is important to me, and I'm mm-hmm. out here doing some stuff with my family, I think that's relevant. But to the extent that it's just about, Oh wow, look at Nick, isn't he cute? Look at his right. jeans and his new Right. Sneakers. Right. I'm not doing that. Yeah.
0: Well. Yeah. Good. Good. So we're going to wrap up, and I will wrap up as I always do with my GCP bonus round. <laughs> my three, three quick questions. Yeah. Um, first, favorite poem I write. Poems on Thoughtful Thursday, and I'm always collecting favorite poems.
1: Well, you know, I, I, when you uh, mentioned that you might talk about that, I was like, oh my gosh! When I started learning poetry in school, it was kind of all the classics—Dickinson, Bronte, and all that stuff. But Maya Angelou, of course, we mm-hmm. learned later on. So still, I rise. Okay, I think great. because it's all about resilience and strength. Great.
0: And your top two favorite children's books—the ones you used to love to read.
1: Um, I have to say, please, baby, please, yes, because Tanya t- Lee's <laughs> a friend, but also Diffin for Day. Ooh. A lot of people don't know about no. this Dr. Seuss book which is so great apparently he was working on it and didn't finish it before he passed but it was finished later on and it's all about a quirky kooky school where kids are taught not just the the rote way to learn but how to just be all over the map and live outside the lines and that's how you learn oh cool and I love that and we I- used to read that to our kids every night wow okay i'll have to look for that one that sounds great and finally your favorite tv or film parent Um, Claire Huxtable. Claire (laughs) Huxtable, yeah. Gotta be Claire. (laughs) Gotta be Claire. Gotta be Claire, because she always had a little humor, but she didn't play around, and she also just always had her finger on the pulse. Yeah, now we love Claire. (laughs) So thank you so much for being
0: with us today, Deborah, and thank you for your great parenting insights. fun. And I hope everyone listening enjoyed the conversation and you'll come back for more. In the meantime, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at www.groundcontrolparenting.com for tons of parenting info and advice you can also find us on facebook and instagram at ground control parenting and on linkedin under carol sutton lewis please send comments and questions on any of these platforms we want to hear from you until the next time take care and thanks for listening